Welcome, everyone. This is a Council of Institutional Investors educational podcast. I'm Jeff Mahoney, General Counsel of CII. I'm here today with Professor Nitsan Shilan from the Peking University School of Transnational Law. Professor Shilan is the author of a recent research paper entitled Pay for Destruction, the Executive Compensation Arrangements that Encourage Value-Decreasing Stock buybacks. Welcome, Professor. Let, let me start by asking what motivated you to write a research paper on executive compensation and stock buybacks, and what were your main findings? Good morning, and uh, thanks for having me, Jeff. Well, many scholars before me have already recognized the ability of stock buybacks to improve earnings per share, or EPS which determines a significant portion of annual bonuses for executives. The theory was simple. Buybacks reduce the number of shares, and this should decrease the denominator of earnings per share ratio and thereby improve it, at least in the short term. Because EPS is the most common criterion for deciding CEO bonuses, buybacks should increase bonuses significantly. What motivated me to further investigate the relationship between stock buybacks and executive compensation was my concern that the reforms to executive compensation introduced in the aftermath of the 2008 crisis, reforms aimed at enhancing the alignment of pay and especially of stock-based compensation with performance, have greatly increased the ability of stock buybacks to boost compensation. I further hypothesized that this development could create new incentives for executives to conduct buybacks, which soared through the roof between the time of the reforms up to the onset of the COVID-19 crisis. Specifically, I had three reasons for my concern. First, before 2008, executives generally received their stock awards if they stayed with the company for a certain length of time. Since 2008, they received their stock compensation only if they satisfy certain performance conditions, including meeting predetermined EPS targets. As a result, the ability of buybacks to improve EPS can now increase not only annual bonuses, but also the amount of stock that executives receive as compensation. Second, by artificially increasing demand for the company's stock and by reducing supply, stock buybacks can increase the stock price. An increased stock price should in turn improve another popular performance measure that has commonly decided the amount of executive stock awards since 2008, total shareholder return or TSR. Third, when buybacks boost the stock price, they enable executives to sell the stock compensation for a higher price, a matter that uh, Professor Rob Jackson has recently investigated. These considerations led me to write two separate papers. In the first paper, I showed that the potential for buybacks to increase executive pay has reached an all-time high. Specifically, I found that buybacks can now improve performance criteria that are responsible for one half of a CEO's incentive compensation or a third of her total compensation. In the second paper, which I discuss in this podcast, I argue that at least in a subset of cases, the increased ability for stock buybacks to improve criteria that decide executive compensation creates undesirable incentives. 
In particular, I argue that it incentivizes executives not only to divert more value from shareholders to themselves, but also to conduct value-destroying buybacks, buybacks that are short-term driven, buybacks that elevate financial risk excessively, and buybacks that manipulate the stock price. The first problem is the incentive to conduct buybacks that would sacrifice long-term value for the short term. Think about a buyback that is sponsored by funds that would otherwise finance a good long-term project. In the short term, such a buyback would improve EPS, not only by decreasing the number of shares, but also by saving the expense that the company would have incurred to finance the long-term project. I argue that even when short-term driven buybacks impair performance measures and reduce executive pay in the long term, many CEOs would be motivated to pursue them because many times they won't stay there through the long term and because consecutive buybacks can postpone the visibility of the negative long-term impact. The second problem I identify is that by reducing equity value and increasing debt if the buyback is financed by extra debt, any buyback changes the firm's capital structure and increases leverage. Common finance theory tells us that the extra equity risk associated with the extra leverage should improve expected stock returns, TSR, and executive pay. Is that going to motivate executives to conduct buybacks that lever up the firms too much? I argue that this would commonly be the case because CEOs are often overconfident and would therefore underestimate the risk that the extra leverage would harm the performance and reduce the pay. Indeed, studies have found that overconfident CEOs tend to lever up firms excessively. The third issue I raise is that executive compensation arrangements encourage buybacks that are aimed at manipulating the stock price. Because stock price manipulation artificially improves TSR, it increases the amount of executive stock compensation and also improves the price for which insiders sell the stock. Professor, your paper argues that there are lapses in disclosure rules relating to stock buybacks. What exactly are those lapses? How would you fix them? And how would the U.S. Securities Exchange Commission go about implementing your proposed fixes? I found three areas of lapses in disclosure relating to stock buybacks. The first issue is that investors do not know whether firms exclude the impact of stock buybacks on performance measures that decide executive pay. For example, we don't know whether compensation committees adjust performance hurdles ex ante to reflect the expected impact of planned buybacks on performance criteria. In fact, many outside directors who do not serve on the compensation committee complain that they do not know this information either. Second, in many cases, investors, even if diligent and savvy, cannot tell the portion of executive pay that is decided by metrics that buybacks can improve, and whether, in fact, a certain buyback has increased executive pay. That's basically what I worked on very hard in my first paper, not always with success. For example, many firms do not disclose the weight of each performance criteria on executive performance awards, and therefore it is often impossible to know what is the percentage of pay that buybacks can affect? Third, stock buyback activity is reported very late, only after a full quarter is over. And even then, the information is very limited. 
companies report only aggregate monthly amounts of their buyback activity. The late reporting hides the fact that investors who sold the shares in the open market sold them back to the company rather than to other outside investors. This is important because the company naturally knows much better than these outside investors whether this is a good time to sell or buy the company shares. The partial disclosure of the timing in which buybacks are conducted prevents investors from knowing whether and by how much the buyback improved the EPS and increased executive compensation. Accounting rules require firms to calculate EPS based on a daily weighted average. When investors don't know on what day each buyback took place and for what price, they simply can't tell by how much the buyback improved EPS and consequently by how much it increased executive compensation. The lapse in buyback activity disclosure is uncommon in other developed countries. It is also very different from US disclosure obligations that apply to corporate insiders who must report the stock trades within 48 hours. I suggest that the SEC address these issues by revising its regulation SK to require firms to disclose first whether they exclude the impact of stock buyback on uh, metrics that decide executive pay, and if so, how? Second, the percentage of executive pay that is decided by metrics that buybacks can improve. And third, by adopting uh, Professor Jesse Fried's proposal to make firms disclose the buyback trades within 48 hours, just like corporate insiders. The first two fixes I propose would inform investors, directors, proxy advisors, and compensation consultants about the impact of stock buybacks on executive pay and would push them to consider ways to exclude this impact. The third proposed fix would allow outsiders to calculate the excess pay that executives receive as compensation resulting from a buyback and would provide them with the necessary information in order to consider a clawback of the excess pay. Professor, your paper proposes a, quote, corporate governance solution, unquote, to addressing executive compensation arrangements that you believe encourage value decreasing stock buybacks. Please explain to us your corporate governance solution. My proposed disclosure reforms are aimed at triggering a corporate governance discourse that would greatly alleviate the source of the problems that I detect. First, on the board level, making the impact of stock buybacks on executive pay transparent would not only inform investors, but would also inform directors who are not members of the compensation committee. Current studies indicate that most such directors already believe that firms should exclude the impact of stock buybacks on executive pay, but that they do not know if their compensation committees actually do so. With proper disclosure, these directors can be expected to pressure compensation committees to make this exclusion, or at least to make sure that the impact of buybacks on pay is justifiable and does not reward executives for value-destroying stock buybacks. In addition, disclosure would inflict outrage costs on compensation committee members who allow stock buybacks to increase executive compensation when this destroys firm value. Therefore, disclosure can be expected to motivate compensation committees to avoid such costs. Second, proper disclosure would empower shareholders to opine on their firm's treatment 
of the relationship between Bybex and Pay in their say on pay referenda. I expect shareholders and shareholder organizations, such as the Council of Institutional Investors, to pressure firms to avoid compensation structures that allow value diversion and value destruction through stock buybacks. Shareholders suffered great losses in the 2008 crisis due to short-termism, excessive risk-taking, and asset price manipulation. And I believe that with adequate information, they will do the best to avoid giving corporate executives the incentives to create the same systemic problems, this time through stock buybacks. I also believe that because shareholder votes on say on pay matter to firms a lot, firms would take very seriously shareholders' concerns around this issue. Third, I expect my proposed disclosure reforms to mobilize proxy advisory firms to adopt policies penalizing companies that use performance metrics that buybacks can manipulate. Indeed, ISS already has such a policy, but without disclosure, this policy is toothless. In conclusion, I call on firms, shareholder groups, proxy advisory firms, and compensation consultants to address the problems that I identify relating to the impact of stock buybacks on executive compensation and to consider my proposed solutions. Because buybacks are expected to bounce back already this year, these issues should be addressed as soon as possible. Thank you. That concludes our podcast episode. On behalf of the Council of Institutional Investors, I want to thank our special guest, Professor Nitzat Shilam from the Peking University School of Transnational Law. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please feel free to contact me at Jeff, J-E-F-F at C-I-I dot O-R-G. Until next time, I'm Jeff Mahoney. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Voice of Corporate Governance, brought to you by the Council of Institutional Investors. The Voice of Corporate Governance is a free, non-sponsored podcast that highlights critical developments in corporate governance and other important issues affecting institutional investors. The views expressed by those interviewed on the podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CII or its members. For more information on CII and its policies on corporate governance, please visit our website at www.cii.org.